0: Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit Sozosmtx.com. Well, good morning. Can you guys hear me? Yes, Awesome. It's good to be with you today. Thanks for the intro, Joel. Um, My name's Dustin, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, and like Joel said, I lead our college ministry, among a few other things here at Sozo, and uh, I love Sozo Church. Is there anyone here that loves Sozo Church? Come on, I'm, I just want to say this about Sozo. Sozo has been um, family to me, and even in some of the hardest seasons of my life, I've experienced the love, the grace, the kindness, the mercy of God. Um, Not just in my personal relationship with God, but through the family of God that is called Sozo Church. And so, I love this church, I believe in this church, and what what I want to do this morning, um, we're in this series, Missio Dei, where we're talking about the mission of God. We've been talking about this Latin phrase, Missio Dei, which simply means the mission of God. It's this concept, this idea that God himself is on mission, that God is a missionary. He's a missionary God, and that we actually have an opportunity to participate with God in His great mission. It's incredible. And so, we're talking about Missio Day, and what I want to do for a second is I just want to take a moment to talk about the vision of Sozo Church, okay? How many of you guys know it's important to have vision, right? The scripture says that without vision, uh, the people of God perish or they cast off restraint. And so I want to talk for a second about the vision of Sozo Church. If you didn't know, this is our vision statement. The, to see the kingdom of heaven advance in our lives, region and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is, this is big vision, right? Like if you stop and think about it, the vision of this one church here in San Marcos, Texas is that we would see the kingdom of heaven advance in our lives and our region, but then ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so I want to talk about this vision for just a second. The first part of that vision where it says to see the kingdom of heaven advanced. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray and He responded to them by saying, this is how you should pray. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now listen, Jesus tells them to pray this way, but I believe it would be cruel for Jesus to tell them to pray this way if he actually didn't want to see their prayers come true. You see, he said, pray this way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, many different ways that you could translate it. I think it's most easily translated as the rulership of Jesus. Steve would say it. it's God's way of doing things. And so what we want to see is the rule of Jesus, King Jesus, established. The first part there is in our lives, right? To see the kingdom of heaven advance here on this piece of dirt before it advances anywhere else in our lives. God, would you let your kingdom advance here in my life as it is in heaven? And then the natural overflow of that is that, God, what you're doing in my life, would you allow that to begin to impact our region? Would you allow that to begin to impact my family, my neighborhood, my city, and ultimately the surrounding areas? Our prayer is, is that what God is doing in this family, Sozo Church, that it would begin to spill out and impact the greater region of Central Texas. But then the last part of that vision statement is what gets me really excited, is that what God has done in our lives and what he's doing in our region, that ultimately that would inspire uh, people to be launched to the ends of the earth. We want to see the kingdom advance, not just in San Marcos, but ultimately to the far-flung corners of planet Earth. How many of you guys believe that that's a big vision and that's a good vision, yeah? We want to see the kingdom advance to the ends of the Earth. And so this morning, the title of my message is To the Ends of the Earth. And we've been talking about mission Uh, missio day living on mission being sent we've talked about local missions Uh, we have some incredible local mission initiatives that are happening and they're they're actually happening and there's fruit coming and it's amazing what God is doing we've talked about some short-term opportunities and uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about the ends of the earth and I want to kind of give us a framework for God's heart of reaching planet earth with the message of the gospel amen I can remember uh, about 10 years ago, I think 10 years specifically this year, I went on my first ever mission trip to what is known as an unreached country or an unreached nation. A team of us went to North Africa. Um, To be honest, it was my first time ever going overseas. I somehow found myself leading this team. Um, It was a good experience for me. It was hard, but it was good. And uh, we went to this country, and I can remember the excitement of going to this nation in North Africa. I was so excited. I was excited to meet. You have to understand, I, I grew up in small Hickville, USA, Southeast Texas, tiny little redneck town. And uh, so here's the thing, I, I had, I'd been across the border to Mexico like once or twice, but to, to go to a North African country for me was like culture shock, and I was excited about it was excited to meet the people, to, you know, eat the food, to learn the language. And so we go, the excitement's there. It's amazing. And our goal while we're there is is to share Jesus with people, find people. Scripture would call them people of peace, people who are open and hungry to hearing the gospel. And so as we go, we're there for four weeks, which at the pace that we were running was an incredibly long trip. And so about halfway through the trip that excitement began to turn to this overwhelming sense of need. You see, this country, 99.8% Muslim, and while we're there sharing the gospel, what I found is not everyone was excited to hear about Jesus. They were quite the opposite, honestly. And I, I was honestly overwhelmed with the reality of the unreached in this nation. One of the things the team had us do while we were there is they said, hey, on Friday, which is the day of prayer, We want you to go to the mosque, the biggest mosque in the city, and uh, we want you to just watch as people come to pray. And so we went to the mosque, and I'm not exaggerating, tens of thousands of people came, and they were praying, and they filled the mosque, and then once the mosque was filled, it was like a courtyard. As far as the eye could see, rows and rows and rows and rows of people there praying, and we were just there to watch and to pray, and to kind of observe what was happening. And it didn't take long as I watched these people as they were praying, and they were heartfelt prayers, and they were chanting and bowing and saying things to one another. And I I can remember looking out on the sea, and I said, God, this this is a lot, right? And I asked God this question. I said, God, why aren't there more people here to share Jesus with them? And I just felt like the Lord gave me a simple answer. He says, because it's hard. It's not, it's not sexy, to be honest. Doesn't make for good newsletters. There, there are people in this country that have given their entire lives to reaching these people, and they don't have a ton of fruit to show for it. But they've given themselves. They've given everything they have to reach these people And I was so overwhelmed with the reality of the need, and and honestly, it marked me forever. Like, I still can't shake that experience 10 years from that moment. I want to share some statistics to us this morning before we kind of get going here, Um, just to kind of put things into perspective, because it's important if we want to reach the ends of the earth to know the reality of what's happening in the world, right? Wouldn't you agree? So I don't know if you knew this, but here on planet Earth, there are some 7.8 billion people on our planet. That's billion with a B. That's a lot of people. And in the 7.8 billion people, there is around 11,700 different people groups. People groups, different languages, different ethnicities, 11,700 different people groups. Out of those 11,000, there are approximately 7,400 unreached people groups. Now, an unreached people group is is when there's no indigenous or local community of Christians able to engage this people group with church planning. That s- simply means that there are a percentage of Christians in that people group that's less than 2%. That makes up 3.2 billion people on our planet. 3.2 billion people on our planet that would be classified as unreached. Now, out of those 7,000 unreached people groups. There's another group of people that would be identified as unreached and unengaged people groups that makes up around 3,000 people um, groups. And essentially, it's an unreached people groups are unengaged when there is no church planning strategy whatsoever. It makes up 273 million people. So that's 273 million people who have never heard the gospel. And who will most likely, statistically, live their entire lives and die without having an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus. Here's the thing. From that initial moment that I had in that country where I felt really overwhelmed until today, I really carry one primary conviction as it relates to the unreached, and it's this. It is an injustice. It's an injustice that people will live their entire lives and die not just without hearing the gospel, but without having access to the gospel, without ever having someone have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. It is an injustice. And I recognize that this is a sobering reality. I know it's a little grim right now. We're gonna to get to some good news here in a second, but it's the reality of the world in which we live. And I share this because maybe you're in the room and you have it in your, heart, like you wanna be a missionary. Maybe it's in your heart to, to live overseas one day. Um, I just, I just wanna encourage people. I know there's people, we talked about Adam and Laura. I know there's some other friends in the room that are getting ready to move overseas even next week. We've got people in our mix that are planning to go. And maybe there's other people in the room that you're like, this stuff kind of, gets me excited and it burns in my heart. I, I want to say this to you, there is incredible hope. God is on the move like never before. I know the statistics that I just read were kind of grim, but the reality is, is statistically speaking as well, there are more movements, rapid movements of churches being planted in the earth today than ever before in the history of ever, right? Right? There are movements happening in countries like Iran, and even places like where, where we have these refugee crises. We, we heard from our friend Tommy a few weeks back, and um, he shared with us how out of great tragedy and suffering, these uh, former Muslims are being spread throughout the entire earth, and they are receiving the gospel. God is moving. He is moving like he's never moved before, and so I don't share statistics like that to make us feel defeated in our attempts, I share them as a reality, but I also want to say there is a greater reality, and that is that God is on the move in the nations. Amen? Amen. And so I want to, yeah, thank you, Jesus. So I want to do this. I want to give us a few, I think, missional frameworks um, that would be helpful for us to kind of approach this idea of going to the ends of the earth. The first one, simple but most important is this that the nations belong to Jesus. The nations belong to Jesus and I added this this subquote in there that the nations belong to Jesus and Jesus gets what he asked for. Jesus gets what he wants. He gets what he he asks for. And so as we think about the ends of the earth, church, I don't want us to think of of, of a posture of defeat, but one of great hope and of victory because Jesus is king over the nations. Listen to this in Psalm chapter 2. This is a prophetic psalm, a messianic song prophesying about Jesus. It says, starting in verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, And I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, this is speaking of Jesus, you are my son and today I've become your father. Listen to this part. He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. This is the father speaking to the son prophetically. He's saying, if you would just ask me, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. I will make the ends of the earth your possessions. Jesus said this, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. You see, the reality is, is God started by planting a seed that became a people through Abraham, through his family. And it became one nation there in the Middle East. We know it as the nation of Israel. And we read about it all throughout scripture. But there was a promise to Abraham that that superseded Israel, and it was this that what God did with one small nation in the middle of the Middle East would actually expand to affect the ends of the earth. You see, God's not interested in just rescuing a few people, the nations are His inheritance, the nations belong to Jesus. And so, I was thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, one of my favorite portions of scripture. I have to sneak it in in every sermon. Joel makes fun of me for this. Um, every, every, for, there was like a, a season where every single Sunday I preached 2 Corinthians five seventeen. It's kind of all I knew. Um, it's still kind of all I know. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beautiful portion of scripture. It paints out the reality of what Jesus did on the cross. In this portion, Paul writes, he says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You see, at the cross, God wasn't distant God wasn't away from Jesus, God was in Jesus. And he was reconciling the cosmos to himself. The word cosmos literally means. All peoples everywhere on planet Earth, the entirety of the world has been reconciled to Jesus. There's not one nation, there's not one statistic that we just read a second ago that hasn't already been reconciled to God through Christ. The entire cosmos has been reconciled to God through Christ. All they need is for someone to say, hey, did you know that you're already forgiven? Did you know what Jesus has done for you? And simply share, we're not trying to attempt to reach the ends, of the, world, the ends of the earth as if it hasn't already happened. We go because Jesus is victorious in the nations. He rules and reigns, and the nations are his inheritance. Hear me, I, I used to really obsess over those statistics that I mentioned a second ago, and I was pretty intense about it. I would write them on my mirror and pray, and I still... Impassionate about those statistics because they're they're real. But I would I would mention those things and I would preach messages, you know, kind of out of Matthew twenty four, where we talk about you know the glorious gospel of Jesus going, uh, being preached in the entire world as a witness to all people, and then the end would come. and And I think my interpretation of that, along with a lot of other people's, is simply this: that all we need to do is just tell every person about Jesus, or at least tell one person from every people group about Jesus so that Jesus could come back. That was kind of my motivation. I wanna be honest with you this morning because I really think that that way of thinking, in my heart at least, is that it created a shallow view of the kingdom. And what it actually did is, is is it wouldn't sustain my passion for missions because I recognized that in my mind, people were a task to be finished, not a people to be loved. And Jesus' heart is not just to get the gospel to every nation. That's actually not the promise of Scripture. The promise is, is that the, the, the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. The promise of Scripture is that this kingdom that was initiated in Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, that it would permeate the entirety of culture. It would be like leaven in the dough until it permeated the whole batch. It would be like the stone, as Daniel says, not cut from human hands, which is Christ in his kingdom, and that it would fill the entirety of the earth. It would be that the fulfillment of the promise where we see that, that the, the prophet says that the, the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. You see, I think God wants to do more than just get a few people from each people group converted to Christianity. He actually wants to establish his kingdom all across the earth until we see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. There is a victorious end to look forward to. And so if we look at the ends of the earth through a kingdom lens, I not just trying to get a few people saved from every people group, but actually establishing healthy kingdom culture, affecting all spheres of society, seeing people come to Jesus, seeing people thrive and prosper throughout the entirety of the cosmos. What we find is that we actually have more work cut out for us than we thought. Right? Like if we want to see the kingdom advance. It's more than just getting a few people saved. There's actually more to do, meaning this, that we don't, have to wait for things to get worse so that Jesus can come back. We've talked about this a lot here on Sunday mornings. We embrace a victorious eschatology, and I don't want to go fully into eschatology this morning. If you have any questions about eschatology, you can email me at Smothers at sozosmtx.com. Just kidding. We've talked about this a lot <laughs> We've talked about it a lot. Why? Because we believe that eschatology actually affects missiology, meaning what we believe about the end affects how we live today. Where we believe about what God is doing in the earth, as far as the end of things, affect how we live today. And so we don't we don't have to wait for things to get worse. I don't, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a small little country church, and I'm telling you, three out of four Sundays a month, we were preaching the rapture. I mean, we were preaching it hot. People were hiding under the pews waiting for Jesus to come back, thinking, you know, Y2K, the food, you know, <laughs> storing up food. Here's the thing. We were wrong. We were wrong, right? Yep. Yeah. But here's the thing. If we live in fear of those things, it actually does two things. It either cripples us and paralyzes us in fear or it leads to an anxiety-driven missiology. Wow. It means the way that we live our lives becomes full of anxiety. But here's the deal. The kingdom that Jesus inaugurated, it's not reserved for later, it's, it's here, it's preeminent, it's in our midst, it's growing, it's permeating culture, and Jesus promised that every nation would be discipled. And so, this end time sphere, I think it can produce anxiety, and it makes us feel like we have to get the task done in our generation. But a kingdom view of missiology actually gives us permission to build something that would affect nations and last for generations it goes beyond ourselves. It looks beyond ourselves, which leads us to to point number two, and that is that kingdom advancement must think generationally. If we want to reach to the ends of the earth, we have to think generationally. Why? Because the story of God is so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger than us. I think of Hebrews chapter 11, we know it as the great hall of faith, where we read stories of men and women who did incredible things for God Likes of Abraham and Deborah and Moses and all of these people who who gave their lives in faith because of what had been promised to them. Listen to Hebrews 11, verses 39 through 40. It says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The writer of Hebrews is saying all of these men and women of great, great faith, great promise, they laid their lives down and they never tasted the fulfillment of their promise. Because God saw it better fit that only together with you and me would their promise be fulfilled or would they be made perfect. And the question I have for us this morning as it relates to thinking generationally is are we okay if we see what God has promised to us bear fruit in another generation, not our own? Is it still success if what God has promised to you is made manifest in your grandchildren? You see, this is how God thinks. He is a generational God. He thinks generationally. I can remember a few years back, um, our elders had an elder retreat. I think this was before COVID. And they came back and they shared with some of our team some of the things that they were talking about. And I can remember one question that came forth out of this elders retreat, Um, it impacted me greatly, and it was this, it was, the question was not what does Sozo look like in the next six months, or what are we gonna do, what's our five year plan, or even what's our 50 year plan, but the question was, is what would Sozo look like in the next 500 years? What are we doing today that is going to affect what we're building, as if it's still gonna be here in 500 years. Listen, some of us may not even believe we'll be here in 500 years, or we won't be here in 500 years, but that people will still be here 500 years from now. But listen, I think it's the right question to ask. Not what are we doing today? I'm not interested in building something that's going to start with me and end with me. I think the church has done a poor job of passing the baton. And God's heart is, is not that we would be so obsessed with fruit that we must see it in our lifetimes, but that we would be okay with building something that we could hand on to the next generation. And so even as we think missionally to the ends of the earth, it's, it's not like we have to do it all today or tomorrow, but I think God wants to give us strategy, and he wants to let us know, hey, you can actually build something that can outlast you. And so in order to reach to the ends of the earth, we have to kind of allow ourselves to become a seed that may produce fruit that you'll never get to see. The third framework I wanna give you this morning as it relates to the ends of the earth is this, that the cross is the great equalizer. The cross is the great equalizer. The cross has leveled the nations. It has is, it is shown us in Jesus that not one nation is greater than another that not one group of people is greater than another, but that God's heart for all nations is that he is radically in love with every person on the face of this planet. Ephesians chapter two, Paul writes, but now in Christ Jesus, starting in verse 13, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, he's, he's talking here about Jews and Gentiles, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier He actually makes one new man. There is no distinction. Paul says it this way. There is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all one people. He has destroyed every barrier. He has destroyed all racial barriers. He has destroyed all socio-ethnic barriers. He has destroyed all nationalistic barriers. Barriers and and these things that are enemies of the kingdom like racism and prejudice and classism and abuse of power, they've all been obliterated at the cross. Jesus has leveled the playing field. I can remember being in that country, that North African country. And like I said, I grew up, I grew up in, in small town, you know, we're deep, deep in the south, right? So to be really honest and frank with you, I grew up with a lot of prejudice around me. Prejudice about people that look different than me. Prejudice specifically about the people in, in whose country that I'm now in. And I can remember having a conversation with a young man there, and he said this to me. He said, I know what you Americans think. He says, when you think Muslim, you think terrorist. And I was like, um... I mean, yeah, you're kind of right. A lot of people think that way. And he says, I know that when I get on an airplane, I make you uncomfortable. And he said, here's the deal. This is what we think about you. He says, when we think America, we think Christian. You know what we think about Christian? Hollywood, sex, drugs, rock and roll, pornography. We're a Muslim nation. You're a Christian nation, right? Is that what a Christian nation looks like? And it was like a ton of bricks hit me in the chest, And it was this this reality that we build stereotypes that just aren't true. And our stereotypes of people actually become a hindrance in reaching people. And I remember walking away from that conversation, I said, God, I know that I love these people, but please, God, would you rip out every prejudice in my heart? I do not want, I I don't want to be shaped by past. I don't want to be shaped by cultural ideologies. I want to see how you see That passage in 2 Corinthians 5 that we talked about, Paul says this, he says, says, we once regarded Christ in this way, but we do so no longer. And he says that we can no longer regard anyone according to the flesh, or we can no longer see anyone from a worldly point of view, which means this, that we can't afford to see people the way the world sees people. If we want to reach to the ends of the earth, we have to say, God, I don't want to see with my eyes. I have to see with your eyes. Let me see in them what you see in them. And so these stereotypes, they've all been demolished at the cross. I I think of stories of how Jesus did this. Jesus was so radical in his inclusion. It is crazy. Like think about Jesus. Jesus goes and he calls a man named Simon. Simon was a zealot. Simon the zealot. He says, Simon, come and follow me. We have to understand about Simon as a zealot. Zealot isn't just someone who's zealous for God. It's kind of quite the opposite. He is zealous for his nation. We will fight for Israel at all costs. And what that means is is we will fight against Roman oppression. And so zealots were known for killing and murdering Romans. They were like hitmen that would go after the oppressive government of Rome. Jesus says, Simon, come follow me. Simon starts to follow Jesus. Jesus goes to Matthew He says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. What we have to understand about Matthew is that Matthew is a tax collector. Matthew is an Israelite who works for Rome. (laughs) Exactly, traitor. (laughs) He's an Israelite working for Rome to oppress his own people. He says, Matthew, come follow me. And so now you have at the same table, Matthew the tax collector working for Rome, Simon the zealot that hates Rome, and Jesus builds a table that levels the playing field. Like, can you imagine the tension between these two? Like, Jesus, come on. Like, not this guy, right? But this is what Jesus does. You see, the scripture says that Jesus builds a, he sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies, but I actually think what Jesus does is he takes who once were our so-called enemies and he invites them to sit at the table with us. This is what Jesus does. He says, actually, you thought they were your enemy, they were never your enemy at all. And you're actually called to sit at the same table. I think of Paul, who was once Saul, and Saul we know was in charge of at least murdering one Christian. He was over oversaw the stoning of Stephen, right? And I just have to imagine in my mind this Saul, who was probably in charge of murdering dozens, if not more than that, Christians. He had a task from the high priest to go and rip men and women from their homes in order to bring them followers of Jesus before the high priest. This Saul, who became Paul, was welcomed into heaven at the end of his life to the applause of men and women that he murdered. Think about that. That's the radical nature of the cross, is that there is no enemies. There is no us in them. We are, God is building one new humanity. And so the reality is, is there's a bride that's being formed and it's full of people that don't look like us. It's full of people that don't look like you, that don't talk like you, that don't vote like you, that don't think like you, that don't wear the same clothes that you wear and it's beautiful. Because this is what Jesus is doing. On that day, when we are surrounding the throne of heaven, every tribe, every nation, every tongue will be represented in that place and it will be beautiful. The last framework I want to give us is a little more practical and I kind of want to give you something to walk out of here with. You guys doing okay? The fourth point is this, that the mission starts here and now. The mission starts here and now. Maybe you feel called to a specific people. Maybe you feel called to move overseas. Maybe you feel called to be here and reach a specific people. Listen, there is no better time than now. There is, I I, I remember I went to Bible school, and uh, we had this missions department at our Bible school, and I can remember all these kids from the mission department that would be like, I'm called to Africa, and all they did was play video games. I was like, you're not going to Africa. It's like, you don't even know how to share the gospel. Like, It's all about stewardship. I want to make a strong statement. You cannot keep what you don't steward. And so, if you feel God's called you to do something that feels big and that feels grand and it feels awesome and you're excited about it, start now. Start with your neighbor, start today. Start with someone, because what God does, he's so into stewardship, he's so into entrusting us as we're faithful with little, that the only way that you get to that thing that God has put in your heart is by starting to be faithful with what he's put right in front of you. And so, we have to start here and now. I want to give you some things that I feel like I've learned about living on mission one, is that our culture has a very high value for self. Amen? (laughs) And this is what I've learned. We cannot live under the lordship of Jesus and not move towards people. It is impossible to live under the lordship of Jesus and not put people first. You see, our culture is very obsessed with self, me, my. I've talked about this before, self-help, self-care, self-love, self-awareness, all of these things. And there's fine lines between taking care of yourself and being self-aware and self-indulgence. And I think we have a lot of people who are stuck inside themselves, and what God wants to do is get us outside of ourselves and recognize that the call of living under the lordship of Jesus is that we're always moving towards others. You see, even as we think about the definition of love, Scripture says that God is loved, and that in the same way that he's loved us, so love one another. The word agape there for love, by definition, means that it's always self-sacrificial, and it's always other-centered, that it always cost me something, and it's always moving towards another, which kind of obliterates our ideas of self-love, right? Not saying that you shouldn't take care of yourself, but love, by definition, is other-focused, And so to live on mission, we have to say, God, how can I get outside of myself and see the people that you're surrounding me with? God, there's so much opportunity here. How can I move outside of myself and move towards other people? And so within the ethos of the church, there's this guy, I enjoy reading some of his books. He's a missiologist. His name is Alan Alan Hirsch. And he writes on something that he would call the missional incarnational impulse of the church. And I want to give some definition to this. And then we'll close here in a second. Um, the definition of missional incarnational impulse is one, that the church, by nature of who she is, is missional. You see, God himself is a missionary. The whole idea of missio Dei is not just that God has a mission, but that God came on mission to planet Earth. So God is a missionary. Jesus was the sent one, and he came to us to reveal the Father. And then he says this, in the same way that I was sent, so I sinned. You, go and make disciples of all nations, which teaches us that the church by nature is apostolic. And when I say apostolic, I don't mean long skirts, no makeup, long hair, rolling around the ground speaking in tongues. That was the apostolic that I grew up with. (laughs) I remember hearing someone talk about apostolic. I was like, oh boy, that's different than what I thought. Apostolic just means a sent one, okay? To be apostolic means you are sent, you are on mission, which means this, that the church by nature is apostolic, because the church has been commissioned. The great commission is not a suggestion, it was a command. And in the very words of Jesus, go, was actually the sending of his church. And so here's, here's what we have to realize, that we're on mission whether we realize it or not. Every person here is on mission. All we have to do is not to strive to enter into something, but actually open up our eyes to the reality that we've been called to. And that is to live on mission. The second little piece of this is that there's this missional and incarnational impulse within the church. Incarnation literally means embodied, to be enfleshed. John 1 teaches us that God himself took on flesh and became like us. He dwelled among us. This is the incarnation of Jesus as he moved into our world. And so if God chose incarnation through Jesus, then I think the same way that we live on mission is to become like Jesus and live incarnationally around the people that we're called to reach, which tells us this, that the idea, incarnation, incarnational living is the idea that we have to kind of become aware of the people that we're trying to reach in order to reach them. We need to understand who God is calling us to. We need to live among them. And so I want to give us a few practical ways Um, and how to live both missionally and incarnationally. I'm going to go pretty quickly through these. You could write them down if you would like. Just some practical tips to live on mission here and now. The first, as it relates to missional or going out, is number one, proximity. You see, the gospel starts with go, not come. The great commandment is not to invite people to us, but that we would go to them. Go and make disciples. And I think sometimes we get frustrated because people don't want to come be a part of our thing when God's actually calling us to go and be a part of their thing, to enter into their world, to show them what Jesus looks like right where they are. And so as as, as people living on mission, we should be in direct proximity to those people that we are called to reach. The second kind of key here or takeaway is frequency, so free, proximity locates the people that you're called to reach. Frequency actually demands us to stay with them. I think sometimes we get annoyed with the people that we're calling to reach and we, get up, we, we like give up, right? We're just like, God's called me to reach these people. And you get close, you're like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> now God's calling me. But I think there's something so uh, powerful in our consistency, in showing up and staying with people. Sometimes people don't just need to hear that God loves them or hear the gospel, they need to keep hearing it. And they need to see it demonstrated through our lives, and that takes frequency. And then the third part as it relates to being um, missional is spontaneity. You see, I think that followers of Jesus that desire to engage people on mission have to make sure that we're not too busy to welcome the unexpected. We actually need to create margin in our schedule for the people that we feel called to reach. We have to create space for when that person calls you and they're in desperate need that we're like, eh, I don't know, I'm too busy. Not to say that you have to drop everything every time, but to create room in our lives in order to make room for mission. A few kind of tips on incarnational living. So the missional is the going out. The incarnational is the going deep. The first one would be meaningful engagement. I think this is is huge. Jesus modeled this best at tables. He sat and he ate with prostitutes, tax collectors, Pharisees. And in reality, kind of what this looks like, I think, is is that we don't simply share the gospel with every person that we meet, and just call that missional, but that we're close enough to people that when they go through tragedy or hardship, you actually become the person that gives meaning to their situation. That you're there in their moments of crisis and you can make sense of all of this because you have a hope that they may not be experiencing. And so asking the questions, are we asking meaningful questions? Are we a significant part of other people's lives? Do I add value to people around me? The second is proclamation and demonstration. I wanna help you with a key. Probably some of the biggest fears as it relates to living on mission for most people is that they're scared to share the gospel with people, right? How many of you guys would say that? I, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't love going out on the streets and preaching the gospel to people, but it got way easier when I recognized that it's not my job to convert anyone. <laughs> that if I share something with them and they reject me, it's like, cool, it's not on me. Like, I'm gonna keep going, right? Right? I don't need you to say yes to my message so that I could be secure. And so we proclaim the gospel, and we're just faithful with the gospel. But we not only proclaim the gospel, but we demonstrate the gospel. And I I think that there are people in our lives that, you know, there are opportunities where people need a miracle. They need God to move in their life. And we have an opportunity to step in and say, hey, I'll, I'll step out in faith. And what if? What if God healed that friend who was broken? What if God stepped in and moved in that person's lives? I promise you, it will open up their heart to hear what God has to say. And then the last one is this, hospitality. I think hospitality is so much more than just putting on a good spread for lunch, but it's actually an expression and an experience of God's character. It's not just are we good at you know giving stuff to people, but, but it's the reality of how, Are we an accommodating person? How do people feel when they come into our presence? Are we people that are, as Joel would say, good host for the Holy Spirit? And so hospitality. I wanna close by just encouraging us with something, and then I'm gonna give an activation if the band wants to come back up. I wanna say this. I know I kinda brought it back down to practical the reality is, is that God is moving and God's vision for the nations is grand and it's huge and it's big and we have an opportunity to be a part of it. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be a part of a church that wants to see the ends of the earth impacted. This is, this is like, I burn for this stuff. This is what gets me excited. I can remember years ago, Joel can attest to this, that I was so, I was like, if you would have told me I was living in San Marcos in 2023, I would have said, No, like there's no shot I'm gonna be living in San Marcos. I wanted to live among the nations. Like that was in my heart. God, I thought God was sending me. I was studying Arabic. I was learning. I was getting ready to go. I was doing all of these things. And I can remember telling the Lord, God, this is in my heart. It was so overwhelming. It was like all I could think about. And then God spoke to me and said, "I want you to move back to San Marcus, and Sozo starts and, and we're here." And I can remember kind of being frustrated at the, at the beginning. And so what I did is is I befriended uh, the president of the Muslim Student Association on our campus, and we became like best friends. And then He opened the door to all of these guys, and we got to study Arabic together, and it, w- it was amazing. And I felt like the Lord started giving me vision, because um, there, there was a season where I felt like God was teasing me. He was like, why are, you, "Why are you sending me here? I thought I was supposed to be there. And it was so intense that I was like, surely this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. And what I realized is it's just one tool in in the tool belt for me. I don't know if I'll ever live overseas, but I know I have a passion that's so deep for it, and I will forever try to spur people on to give their lives to seeing the unreached reach with the gospel. I share that to say that maybe some of you in the room feel like, man, I've had this dream. I've had this dream of going, I've had this dream of doing all of these things, But recognizing and ask the Lord, God, what are you doing with this dream? Maybe you are called to go there, but don't get disappointed because it's not happening right now, but ask the Lord, what can I do today to be faithful with what you've put in my heart? You see, Missio Day, when we talk about Missio Day, it's not us trying to muster up something and say, I want to try to be more missional, but all it is is participating with God as he's on mission, and he is on mission. And he's moving, he's moving in our city, he's moving in our region, and he's moving to the ends of the earth. It's actually just an invitation to live in the life of Christ. And so I want us to do this for a second. I want us all to close our eyes. I just want you to focus on Jesus for a second. And I just, I want you to ask God to show you a specific people group. Now, it doesn't have to be someone from a different, different nationality or from a different country than you. It could be people here in the city could be people that you see every day. But I want you to ask God, God, who is this specific people group that you are dropping in my heart today, that you're wanting to give me a heart for, maybe compassion for, a grace for? And I just want you to ask for a specific group of people that you feel like God is calling you to live on mission towards. And then as you feel like the Lord has just kind of giving you someone, maybe you're seeing faces, maybe you're hearing a specific word for a people group, I, I just want you to ask the Lord this question. God, how can I participate with you in seeing the kingdom advance towards these people? How can I participate with you? Maybe he just gives you one step Where it's like, you know what, I'm gonna start praying for this specific group of people. Or maybe he's calling, you know, maybe there's something that's been in your heart for a while and and you feel like, man, I feel called to this specific nation and you need to to be praying. Maybe you need to start studying language. Maybe, whatever it is, just ask the Lord, what is my next step? What are you calling me to do? And then if you... If you would, I would just invite you this morning to just say yes to whatever it is that he's asking you to do. Just say yes to it in your heart. Say, yeah, God, I'll I'll do that. Give me your heart. Can we all stand this morning? if our ministry team wants to come down I just want to pray for us as we end this morning our ministry team will be here if you need anything if you need prayer if you need healing in your body if you're in the room and you've never given your life to Jesus I want to encourage you today is the day to come give your life to Jesus one of these people would love to pray with you if you need anything we would love to pray with you but I just want to pray for us this morning God I thank you that you are on mission. And God, I thank you that even as we read those statistics earlier, God, that you're not nervous and you're not anxious, that you are seated on the throne and that you're moving, God, your spirit is moving all over the earth and that you're raising up and you're sending people to the ends of the earth to be faithful witnesses of what you've done. And so God, I just pray that even today, That as we hear what you're doing, God, that our hearts would be stirred to to, to say, how can I live on mission where I'm at? How can I be faithful tomorrow? How can I love my neighbor? How can I demonstrate the kingdom of God in my community, in my workplace, in my home, God? And God, I thank you that we get to participate with you in the greatest story ever written. We thank you, God, for the work that you're doing among the nations. And I pray for Sozo Church, God, that we would get to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.